I know that you and I are both crazy. (laughs) What? Well, one of us. Hi, this is Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, publishing, parenthood, and marriage. I'm Barry Liga. With me is my co-host and my wife, Morgan Baden. Hi. Hi. So, we're back. Sorry for the little break, people. Sometimes (laughs) life intrudes. You know, this show is writing in real life, and sometimes real life takes over everything else. And quite frankly, you're getting this for free. So, you know, (laughs) don't don't complain. This is one of those weeks, though, where real, like... No, seriously, real life just just whomped us in the ass yeah. this week. It was yeah. it was crazy. Uh, should we talk briefly about that? Yeah. About about yeah. the fact that our kid was at the doctor in a three separate times over a four over day period. four day period. Yeah. yeah, I know, crazy. Um, poor thing. Uh, yeah. yeah, you know, she uh, without going into too much detail, yeah. she's just not feeling well, and it's one of those things where if and it was sort of two things, yeah, two it was, separate it was, things. It was, well, it was two things that it could have been with a possible third thing as well. Yeah. Um, you know, she had gotten a, a vaccination, um, which some babies have reactions to that. So mm-hmm. we thought, oh, maybe that's what this is. But also there was some inflammation in her mouth. So we thought, oh, maybe her molars are coming in yeah. and that's causing some of these problems. And then it was possible she was coming down with some sort of a bug. And it could have been any of these things. We weren't sure which one. So we weren't 100% sure exactly how to attack it. And the doctor wasn't sure either. And the doctor was like, try this, try yeah. this, see what happens. And you know, the worst thing you can say to a parent with a squalling, ill feeling baby is just wait and see what yeah. happens. It's I like, do. I, I remember on Tuesday I had to take the day off work because she woke she up. So at, sick. Well, she yeah. woke up at four in the morning and literally screamed for hours. Nothing yeah. we could do would calm her down. Yeah. And you were just a wreck and I was a wreck. And yeah. And yeah. But, uh, she had a high fever that day too. And the doctor yeah. said, if she still has the fever in three days, then then bring right. her back. And I thought, three days? Right, right. How, like, how is any of us supposed to survive three days? Like, of is she going to be like a little puddle on the floor? Right. She's going to melt at that point yeah. from, her, from her fever. Um, the good news is, I, I got really good with the thermometer. <laughs> you did. You're, you're a pro. <laughs> I got to be really, really good you're with the You're basically a doctor. At so, this point. I, pretty much, <laughs> once I learned how to use a stethoscope, <laughs> that's pretty much temperatures and heartbeats, right? That's it. No, but I will say, um, Obviously, it's terrible when you have a, a kid who doesn't feel well, especially one who is a toddler and doesn't know how to express it. Right. She can't. She right. cannot say to us, "My belly hurts, my head hurts, whatever." Right. Um, what I was going to say before is, if she could have told us what was wrong, yes. it would have been a lot easier of because course. we could have pinpointed the problem, done something about it, and she still would have been sick, but we could have helped much more efficiently. Right. But it was very sweet because a couple of times she fell asleep on each of us at separate times. Which she has not done since she was a little baby. Yeah, and I mean, I was sitting in her bedroom in the rocker and she climbed in, she, I mean, she wouldn't leave my arms at yeah. one all day Tuesday, um, but she climbed in and just fell asleep and it was like this big giant baby I in know. my arms and I was just having these immense flashbacks to, to her newborn hood. She, she did it in my arms this Today. morning when I was home alone with her. She crawled into my lap and turned her head to one side and just went still. And I'm holding her and I'm holding her and I'm oh. like, is she asleep? Like, I couldn't tell yeah, because her face, she was yeah. facing away from me. So I, the only thing within reach was my iPad. <laughs> so I got it and I turned on the selfie camera and nice. held it around the other side. <laughs> nice. And I could see that, that in fact she was asleep. So I held her like that for quite a while. Yeah. Um, so and, sweet. and on the one hand, I'm like, oh, she feels bad. That's terrible. On the other hand, she doesn't do that a lot. She doesn't fall asleep on us anymore. So yeah. that was kind of nice yeah. to have that. Anyway, rough week. Yeah. Rough week. But, but. 
but ended on a high note, I think, I signed a contract today. Great. Which means money, um, <laughs> which is nice. And this is the contract for Bang, which Great. we talked about a few weeks ago. And I said, oh, the contract will be any day now. And it's been about two or three weeks since then. Yeah. And but also, let me set this up, too, sure. for people who don't realize this. You wrote Bang over a year ago. Yes. I sold it, it in sold. August of 2015. Yeah. It is now almost May of 2016, and I just got the contract today. That is how slow publishing is. Yeah, you know, we talked a while back about my my rule that everything in publishing takes three times longer than you think it should, and if you multiply by three, it'll it take three times longer time. than that. And I thought it might be helpful or at least illustrative to the folks out in our listening audience who have not yet published their first book to hear exactly why it took so long. Mm-hmm. And why this isn't even all that long is yeah. in, in, in some cases. But I figure, you know, it might just... So, so that when your time comes, you will not be surprised or caught off guard by this. So, first of all, this is a publisher I've worked with before. I've published five other books with this publisher. So, there should have been no surprises in the contract at all. Um, there were There was a delay early on. My agent... Uh, got the contract in, uh, I believe, late November or early December of 2015. So about about three, four months after we made the deal. Which even that is... That seems long. That seems like yeah. a long time. But, you know, I, honestly, it, you know... They, you make the deal, and then it goes to another department. It goes right. to, no, and absolutely. the contracts department, yeah. it takes them a while, a little while to do it. They have to, you know, look up the of last course. contract you had yeah. and blah, 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 blah. So it, whatever, that's that's fine. That's fine. So th- three or four months. And uh, and then and then my agent confesses that then there was a delay that was her fault entirely. <laughs> she was working on something else for me yeah. that she thought, you know what, this is more important right now. So let me focus my efforts on that, and then I'll get back to the contract. Because, again, this is our fifth contract. Fifth contract so we've rolled out all the wrinkles you know we've mm-hmm. ironed out all the wrinkles before so but i do just want to address that for a second because sure. i think that's something really interesting and illuminating is this idea that your agent depending on what kind of writer you are you're working on more than one thing sure. at a time and yeah part of your agent's job is to prioritize what she works on right. with you right. and which which avenue she's trying to pursue the hardest right. and I mean, you in particular have like 8,000 irons in the fire right now. So, um, so that's something that I I don't think about that often, which is sometimes there are delays on the agent side for very valid reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she, you know, this isn't something we talked about. She made a judgment call and I was fine with when she explained it to me, I was fine with the judgment call that she made because the, the project that she gave precedence for, I mean, a couple of weeks, uh, you know, uh, first of all, a couple of weeks is not going to make a big difference yeah. when you're talking about a, a time span of months. A couple of weeks isn't a big deal. And and I'm glad that she focused on this other thing because if it pans out, it'll be really right. great. Yeah. So that's fine. Uh, if, if the price of that possibly panning out is a two-week delay in the contract, fine, no big yeah. deal. So she did that. And then she, she actually sent me the contract and, and said to said it looks good and i looked over it and i said yeah it looks looks fine to me i mean again it's my fifth contract with mm-hmm. them you know there's not there's not a lot of uh, surprises at this point so um so then i waited a while longer and i waited and i thought well this is this is odd why is this <laughs> taking longer and i called her up one day and i said hey what's what's going on she said well they they changed something hmm. and companies can do that companies no, can do that <laughs> and it's interesting because it was a very small thing it had nothing to do with money or anything like that. Huh. It um, 
and I'm not sure why, but imagine imagine that you had a contract with that you had multiple contracts with a company that said, "Hey, if you want to, you can do this thing ten times." Okay. You can jump up in the air ten times if you want, and you're like, "Okay, great." And every contract you've ever had with them said that, and then suddenly one day, without saying anything to you, they just quietly changed it to say, "You can jump up in the air five times." Ah. Uh. Now maybe you don't care about jumping up in the air. Maybe you never planned. On maybe you never anyway. planned on jumping up in the air, but. It's nice not to have that cut in half, uh-huh. and your agent's job is to preserve as much as humanly yeah. possible for you. And so my agent was like, I don't understand why all of a sudden they only want you to be able to jump up in the air five times. And I really like this metaphor because I'm just yeah. picturing you like on a trampoline. Yeah, I know. I know. Like counting, you know, uh-huh. l- l- lest I violate the terms of the contract. <laughs> and, and again, this was not a significant thing at all. Right. This was not the sort of thing that, that you get up in arms about or that you lose your mind about. This had nothing to do with royalty. Yeah. or sales or anything it was just a and and i was thinking to myself why do they even care yeah. how many times i jump up in the air like it's such a meaningless thing and so she said i but i'm not gonna you know you contractually yeah. have always been allowed to jump up 10 times <laughs> and now you can only do it five and that's just not right because you've always been able to do 10 and there's no reason for it to be five so this went on for weeks yeah. going back and forth about this and finally she said you know that's it i'm just gonna go to the head of the contracts department and just nip this in the bud right here instead of dealing with uh-huh. with with the other people and i was like fine so a few weeks ago i get an email from her saying it's all worked out everything is taken care of you can jump um, 10 times you, you you will be allowed to, to jump in the, up in the air 10 times <laughs> which made me so happy uh because nine times just doesn't cut it and she said, and then, and then, so you would think it would be done then, and I would be able to sign the contract. But no, she says, however, the person who's in charge of sending this out is on vacation for a week now. Uh, so it'll be another, so, you know, everything was done, but we had to wait a yeah. full week. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I waited that full week. And then it turns out that the publisher had just switched over to an all electronic uh, contract system. So my agent said, Okay, the contract is done, but now I have to see the digital version to make sure nothing oh, got got screwed up in the yeah. digital version. So that took another few days. Yeah. And then finally today I got the email with the link to sign it digitally wow. and it's done. So like nothing nefarious going on. Yeah. Like nobody trying to screw me over in any way. Um, nobody dropping the ball really, but just this sequence of events mm-hmm. that just dragged this out. Yeah. Just sort of ridiculously um, for a protracted period of time. And, you know, the thing at the end where it was like, uh, you know, oh, it's done, but this person's on vacation for a week. Right. There's nothing you can do. Like, you know, it it was done, but this person wasn't in the office to take care of it. Uh So you had to wait. Um, And these are the sorts of things that when you are a writer and when you are being paid by publishers, these things will just crop up and they will drive you nuts because you're like, I just want my contract. But Which frankly is is one of the main reasons why it's really important to be on top of your financial game personally, because if you're counting on a check coming because you're signing a contract right. on January first, yep. and the contract gets delayed through no one's fault, you know we we've talked about this before when we talked about money on yeah. the show. It's really important, you know. I, I think I told the story then about my first contract, yeah, where you know we made the deal in August. My agent said, "Oh, you'll be paid probably by Thanksgiving." I thought, great. And I got paid in March. Oh my gosh. 
I mean, I was living off my credit cards right. by that point yeah. because I had, you know, I yeah. thought, oh, okay, Thanksgiving. And then, you know, I, I didn't know yet that f- between Thanksgiving and New Year's, publishing basically is, uh-huh. a, is like an old timey Western ghost town <laughs> with tumbleweed like blowing in the breeze. August. It's like Europe in August. Yeah. <laughs> and I had no idea. So, you know, I thought, oh, okay, they missed Thanksgiving, but it'll be in another week or so. Well, no, like everybody's gone. So, yeah, that was yeah. rough. Yeah. So you have to you have to really look out for your money. Well, that was a good um, a good insight into contracts. Thank yes. you. So there you go. That's why they can take so long. Always be prepared for that. Um, so I want to talk about crazy people, <laughs> which means I want to talk about writers. And that's not me being cute and clever. That is actually there is a study that was conducted, and uh, I have a link that I'll put to this uh, in the show notes called uh, the neurological similarities between successful writers and the mentally ill, and apparently there. Is an inc- there, there's an incredible similarity in the brains and in the, the ways that writers' minds work as compared to psychotics. Um, so I haven't read this article yet. Okay. But I just, I'm already, my my defenses are up. Sure. Are there... Because you don't like to think of yourself as a psychotic, but you want to be a successful writer. Yes, but also, <laughs> uh, you know, did they, was it only writers' brains versus psychotic people's brains? Or did they also study doctors' brains and teachers' brains and... Teenagers' brains. Do you know no, what I mean? They, they were drawing a specific comparison between writers and psychotics. Okay, they so I'm, at, I'm already like, okay, but if we don't have the baseline for everyone else's brains, based by well, no, I mean they were they were look well. Oh, sure. I mean there know, may be yeah. other professions like maybe have, teachers are also that have like similarities. Sure, sure. Opera singers, you yeah. know. So yeah. The, the the thing that got me about the article, they talked a lot about Hemingway and Fitzgerald. Yes. Which is fine. Um, but this dovetails, I'm more interested in talking about the topic I'm about to bring up than actually the similarity between writers and psychotics. This is something that I've touched on before on this show, but the idea that how we think about writing is based a lot on historical images of writing and historical ideas of writing, the narrative of the The narrative of the writer. And, and I'm not a hundred percent sure. Like I think maybe Fitzgerald and Hemingway had to be pretty much psychotic in order to write in the environment in which they lived. I mean, if you think about it, if you're Fitzgerald or Hemingway or, or anybody like that, and you're writing on a typewriter or longhand, the decisions you make as a writer are so much more fraught because making a mistake or changing your mind about something entails a huge amount of work. Rewriting a scene and... Right. Yeah. Or, or even if it's like, oh, I really didn't like that sentence. Yeah. Like, like the actual oh, physical crap. process. The actual physical process of changing that... It was harder. ...was a lot harder. So you you had to think differently about your work. Whereas now, I think, you know, because of technology, it's a lot... It's it's easier in many ways to be a writer. It's not as stressful in in terms of actual the actual work, the actual typing of it, the right. actual creation of, course, of it. Yeah. Because it's easy to change things, yeah. um, and so you don't have to be quite as crazy <laughs> in order to do that. And I think also there's sort of this idea that writers like to think that they that they must be crazy. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I'm sure there there are many writers who are. And I know that you and I, the two of us, approach it very differently. We look at writing very differently. I swear for a second I thought you were going to say, and I know that you and I are both crazy. <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, one of us. One of us has got to be. We won't tell who. We won't tell who. But, I mean. We do, yeah. You know, 
I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, do you think it, you know, there's the old joke, you don't have to be crazy to work here, but it helps. So, mm-hmm. you know, do you have to be crazy to be a writer or does it just help? Does it hinder? No, I, but the same thing can be argued for artists too, right? Sure. And actors. And I don't like that narrative. I don't like the whole like, oh, when I'm, when I'm off my meds, I'm a better artist. Right. That approach to art does not intrigue me at all. Um, so, so I do just, I don't know, in like a weird way, I object to this idea that having some degree of mental illness improves your craft. Like, I don't, I don't like that thought, um, partly because I feel like it makes it seem like mental illness is sexy yeah. or like that's an excuse to not take care of yourself via however, whatever channels you use to take care of yourself. Um, and this, I'm, you know, full disclosure, I'm speaking as someone who doesn't, I'm, I'm not on medications for anything. I'm not diagnosed with anything, um, in terms of mental illness. So it's not like I'm trying to be defensive about myself. I just, you know, I, I, I know people who struggle with various types of mental illnesses and there's nothing attractive about it and there's nothing creative about it in this. I see people really struggling with it is my point. And so I don't want there to be this idea that the struggle is worth it. If it means I get to write a great book, Mm. I don't think the struggle is worth it no matter what the outcome is. What about, one of your favorite writers, Sylvia. Sylvia, Platt. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, no, I'm mean, just wondering, like, you uh-huh. know, hey, if she'd gotten some Zoloft when she was, you she know, 15 or 16, written the would, book she would wrote. we have yeah. seen her books? Would she even be a name that we're familiar with? I, that's a great question. And believe me, the whole time you're talking about Fitzgerald and yeah. Hemingway, I was thinking of Sylvia. And I was like, holding her back. <laughs> <laughs> that was your Trump card. That was my Trump card. Speaking of mental illness. Oh, Trump, Trump, card. Trump card. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I, I really don't know. And I'm sure there's wonderful musicians who yeah. I adore, um, who the same thing could be questioned about. Um, well, I think about Warren Zevon. Okay. Um, who's one of my favorite musicians and struggled his whole life with booze and drugs and, you know, a friend of mine was also a big fan of, of Zivon's, but said, you know, oh, after this period of time, he got sober and his music sucked. Right. Yeah. And I disagree with that, mm-hmm. but his music definitely changed. Of course. I liked it yeah. just as much, but it was very it's different. different. Mm-hmm. And I can see how somebody could have the attitude of it sucked yeah. after that. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a tough thing. I mean, I do think, I think it almost depends on the person. It totally does. I mean, you know, there are, are people who... Um, I agree that, you know, in particular, if you have some sort of illness that is dangerous to you or to others, of course, it seems to be the height of your responsibility to say, well, I realize I may like Sylvia Plath, stick my head in an oven, Mm -hmm. but I'm creating great poetry. So it's worth it. Right. That's like, well, maybe not. Um, you know, but I'm sure that there are people who based on, you know, whatever it is they're going through in their life are able to create beautiful art Absolutely. because of what Absolutely. it is they're going yeah. through. I guess I just, and that, I totally agree with that. Um, and this is a personal decision for me. I would rather have a, a healthy, stable life and not produce any lasting works of art right. than the opposite. Yeah. Like, See, and, I, and that, and that's where you and I approach it differently yeah. because as I've said on this show before, I'm more interested in being a good writer than a good person. Right. And, which is once again me admitting things on this show that yeah, make me yeah. continue with the theme of me admitting things on this show that make show what a horrible human being I am. Um, 
you know, that, I mean, fortunately it doesn't seem like, you know, other than my typical neuroses, I have any particular yeah. mental illness. Well, but also, and just to, not to quibble too much on this, but, um, I, I don't want listeners to think that we're conflating not being a good person with having a, some sort of mental illness. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sure, so sure, like, sure. you know, just yeah. to put that out there, yeah. but, um, you know, you can be a good person and, and have, struggle with course. something. Of Absolutely. Course. Yeah. No, I'm not trying to conflate the two. Yeah, I, yeah. I guess it would be more fair to say I'm more interested in being a good writer than in having a good life. Okay. Maybe, maybe that's, no, more that's fair a, to I th- say. yeah, I think that's, that's yeah. fair to say. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm the opposite. Yeah. 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 So, so. which it's like Paula Abdul said, the opposite the track, uh-huh. <laughs> which, which one of us is a cool cat? Oh, the baby, <laughs> the baby. Yeah, that's true. She's the coolest one in the house. There's totally. no question about it. Um, Okay, so I'm glad we got that out of the way. You don't have to be crazy to be a writer, so don't. And 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 I feel like I feel like sometimes people use it as an excuse, almost. Oh, like totally. there are people who are like, "Well, I'm a writer, so of course I'm crazy." Like you can't expect me to, you know, bring a birthday present to your birthday party. Right, I'm a writer. Right, yeah. I don't think of these things. No, like yeah. bring a birthday present, dude. Come on, don't <laughs> you know? Don't don't be a total jerk. Um, yeah, and and th- there is this, as you said, narrative, and it's sort of romanticizing this idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may be a true thing. Like there may be people who are great writers because yeah. there's something quote unquote wrong with them, but we shouldn't romanticize that. Yeah. We can understand it and we can empathize with it and we can sympathize with them, but we shouldn't romanticize it. Mm-hmm. That's all. So I want to talk, we talk a lot on this show about authors and the internet and social media and that sort of thing. And so I want to, you read an article a little while back and you forwarded it to me and I read it. And this is something that we'll talk about sort of generally, but it may be of interest to people who are authors on the internet. Um, and it was, it was a story titled when you become the person you hate on the internet, this is from NPR. We will put a link to it in the show notes. And, and do you want to summarize what this was? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really related with this, not to the extremes that this woman did, but basically a woman, um, shared on her personal Facebook page, a comment about a song from the nineties that she hated. Oh, just say what it is. Breakfast at Tiffany's. Breakfast at Tiffany. She talked about how much yes. she hated it. Yeah. And she forgot that she's actually Facebook friends with a member of the band <laughs> who wrote that, who wrote and recorded that song in right. the nineties. And so she goes on this sort of self-reflection about, um, about a, how mean that was of her. Well, he got in touch with her. Yeah. Yeah. He, like he, he, re, he just, he said something like, Oh, you know, Oh, sorry. You didn't like it. Right, so, yeah. Something sort of neutral. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then she felt like a horrible human being. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it really struck me for, for a lot of obvious reasons. Um, but it was funny because also recently with the election, uh, I, I'm a pretty political person Yeah, and I have my, I have my beliefs and, um, especially as the rivalry between Hillary and Bernie heated up, I was getting more and more heated up on, on Twitter in particular. And, um, and I'm always conscious of it, but I definitely like I'll live tweet debates and things like that. And so sometimes things, I let things get the better of me. So I was at a work event a couple of weeks ago and someone I know through work, not well at all. Um, but obviously she follows me on Twitter and I hadn't seen her in months and months. And, and she leaned over and said, Hey, I love you on Twitter. And I said, Oh my goodness. What, what do you mean? And she said, well, all, well, all of your, your political posts, I yeah. love them. And I was like, 
you're the second person to say that to me today. I must have gone up, like, uh, clearly I had been tweeting a lot the night before. It must have been a debate. But, and I started telling her, we got into a conversation about how I, I'm really trying to tone it down. Like, I know I shouldn't be so passionate about, like, pro or anti a candidate. Yeah. Um, because I do have a somewhat professional persona on on my social media. So, and she was like, no, I think it's great. And I was like, no, but I'm not comfortable with it. And I'm annoying myself. There you go. And I'm becoming the person I hate on the internet. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so I, I, I just really related to this article, but, um, but it's very easy to do that. I think, I think it's very easy to do as this woman did. Yeah. She, you know, she didn't post, we should st- state that she didn't post on Facebook, like a long exegesis on no. why she hated breakfast at Tiffany's. No. It was like one sentence, yeah. you yeah. know? And it was like, you know, you know, the fact that breakfast at Tiffany still is being played on the radio is proof of the downfall of mankind. Something <laughs> like, something like that. Right. That was the sort of thing that she wrote. And, you know, it had a consequence that she felt horrible that she had yeah. said this, yeah. you know, to, to this person, uh, without intending to. Yeah. And it makes me remember, you know, I saw a movie once I can't remember, I don't remember which movie it was, but it started off with a, a title, a, you know, title comes up on the screen, said something like, um, you know, 1865, two years after the civil war. Okay. And I remember thinking, do you need to tell me that it's two years after the civil war? And I tweeted something like, wow, ah. like how stupid do the movie people think we are? They got to tell us this. Okay. And I got, oh my God, like people on Twitter, really, like friends, like all kinds of people I know, people I don't know, just attacked me. Like, well, I didn't know the exact year of the Civil War, and I'm not a stupid person. And but you know, why wow. would you assume that you know just because I didn't take a history class, you know, that I'm dumb? And I'm just like, oh my god! And I just got, and I was just like, oh my god! Like, yeah. I did not expect this at all. And again, it was just me making a smart ass comment, yeah. you know. And I remember my brother, who follows me, who stealth follows me on Twitter, <laughs> called me and was like, I love it when the real Barry accidentally says something on Twitter, <laughs> <laughs> and. You know, I was like, wow, okay. And yeah. I, th- I think about that a lot. Yeah. It's like... I feel... Yeah. I still feel bad about something I did once, which was um, uh, probably two or three, probably three or so years ago. Uh, and it was one of the... It was some article about baby names mm. and the list... It must have been the list of the top 10 baby names of the year. And that list has not changed much over the past yeah. like seven years or so. And they're all beautiful names. But I'm always surprised when someone... Like right now, names their baby One Isabella or Sophia names. or Emma. Yeah. yeah, because that like literally there are going to be thirteen of them in the, in that kid's class. So anyway, I'm always surprised by those things, and I feel very passionately about names. So anyway, so I tweeted once something like, you know, I saw the best minds of my generation all named their kids Isabella and Sophia or something <laughs> like that. And uh, and someone that I was friends with in high school who I did not even know was on Twitter did not know she followed me. Yeah immediately tweeted back something that like she was hurt by that. And she was like, it's a beautiful name. But, and I was like, first of all, I did not know you were on here. Second of all, now I feel bad because it is a beautiful name. Right. I wasn't making fun of her in particular. It was just one of those things where I was like, Oh, I became that on the internet. Right. And I did not mean to be. And I, I think, you know, I mean, we were fortunate. We have been fortunate in that, you know, there's never been a hashtag, you know, about how horrible we are. Has, has Barry landed yet? Yeah. But, you know, I, I think it's good for us all to remember that, you know, I think probably everybody listening now is like, oh, I've done that, yeah. you know, and maybe there were no repercussions, but we've all done it. And, you know, sometimes when we pile on to people who say something stupid online mm-hmm. or offensive, like, 
they're just like us. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. maybe they just said something really stupid for a moment and now it's immortalized yeah. forever at archive.org. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and they can't get away from it. Yeah. And maybe we should be a little more. Yeah. We talked about know. this before about, uh, I think we generally need to be more forgiving on social media towards each other yeah. about quips that you make sometimes. So, sometimes stuff just falls flat. Like, yeah. Sometimes you, you know, in the spur of the moment you say something and then you realize it was really stupid. Yeah. And it's too late because it's already out there and 500 people have seen it and yeah. already told you that you suck. Yeah. And obviously, you know, again, to clarify, this is very different from online harassment that I see. Yeah. Oh, sure. Time, I mean, course. this is different from harassment yeah. or, or something like that. But it yeah. is, you know, if someone makes a, a joke or says something that they did not mean to be mean. I don't right. know. You know, I, I do think sometimes you have to look at intent, yeah. which is not, a, it's not an easy, quick thing to do. No. And it's not the first thing people do at all. Of it's not. not your gut instinct, but anyway, yeah, let's not be people we hate. Yeah. Or if we are, let, let's, let's hope that people forgive us as we forgive them. Let's That's the grace. most Catholic thing I've ever it said on this was. show. I was just about to like bow my head. Yeah. I don't know. You don't even know what stand up, sit down. I have no idea. Fight, fight, yeah. fight. Catholics. Yeah. All right. Morgan. Very. What are you reading? And or what do you recommend other people read? Okay. I, I have a couple. You know, things. I just want to point out, by the way, we never said that recommended reading had to be something we'd actually read. Okay. So theoretically, you could recommend, recommend anything. Things. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I do want to recommend this highly. It's my favorite book of the year. Okay. I know it's only barely We're only made. like four months in. Yeah. But, but um, and I want to give a, some background here because I don't want people to be like, oh, of course that's our favorite book. I am not a huge Jane Austen fan. Right. Like, I like her just fine. I Honestly, truth be told, I haven't read her since college. So, for all I know, I would love her even more now. Or you might not. Or I might. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm, I never got super into the whole retellings of everything. You know, there are multiple Pride and Prejudice retellings. Um, it's like a whole industry. Unto it itself. is. It basically, it's there's a genre in Barnes and Noble called Pride and Prejudice retellings. Is there? No. Oh. <laughs> I, you seemed very serious. Yes. You finally got, got me. You finally got me. Listeners, you have to know that I'm like an incredibly gullible person. And so for our entire relationship, Barry has convinced me of various things um, that are not true. But anyway, I just got him. So that was very exciting for me. Good moment. I could see that though. <laughs> no. Anyway, so, so not a huge Jane Austen fan. And I'm going to, I'll say this again at the risk of sounding mean. I loved all of Curtis Sittenfeld's books. I'm a, I'm a big fan of hers. Her most recent one was called Sisterland. And I actually did not love that book. Yeah. I thought it was the weakest of all of them, which is funny because it's, I bet it's about identical twins. Uh, so That's why think. it's so weak. I know. <laughs> anyway, so point being, when I saw that she had a new book coming out called Eligible, and it's a, pri- a modern day Pride and Prejudice retelling, I thought to myself, should I, should I even bother basically? But I did. And oh my God, it is a delight. Cool. It is laugh out loud, funny and smart and romantic and beautiful. And I loved truly every moment of it to the point that I just finished it like two days ago. And I was like, I might reread it right away. I loved wow. it so much. Yeah. That's, that I is know. the highest praise. I know. I just wanted wow. to be back in that world again. So, wow. um, anyway, so my recommended reading is Eligible by Curtis Sittenfeld. Whether or not you are a Jane Austen fan, I think you or should Or even be. a Curtis Sittenfeld yeah. fan. Exactly. Yeah. You know, she just, uh, I'll bring this up. She just had a list on BuzzFeed, uh, 24 things that she's learned in 10 years of publishing. Nice. Uh, which, first of all, blew my mind because I've been in publishing for 10 years. Uh-huh. So, I... I I mean, I read prep when it came out, but I don't remember it being like right on top of Fanboy and Goth yeah, Girl. Funny. So that's like, yeah. I feel like it was an older book, but it wasn't. It came out maybe six months before Fanboy and Goth Girl. Huh. Uh, so that's interesting. Um, 
And uh, so that was strange. And I'm like, okay, have I learned 24 things? I feel like maybe I should come up with a list of 24 should, things I've yeah. learned. But it's an interesting list. I'm always a little wary when somebody who is very successful mm-hmm. at something says, here's what I've learned. Because I feel like what they've learned is not what the average person in that field has learned. Okay. But it's a pretty good list. Uh, there are a few things I would quibble with, but it's a pretty good list. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's a, it's a fun list. Um, and you get, the, you get the feeling that she is not taking herself too seriously, too seriously yeah. which is something I admire in successful people. Well, I will say um, she's definitely not taking herself too seriously because the New York Times reviewed Eligible. Yeah. And it was, from what I understand, not a glowing review. Huh. And so she wrote about... How do you cope with a not great review from the New York Times? Yeah. You know, that's all, that is something that's interesting because that too is a fraught proposal to write about that. Yeah. Because there are people who will attack you and say, wow, you're bitching about getting a bad review from the New York Times and your I feelings were hurt. I've never even been reviewed in the New York Times. Yeah. Uh, there was a, there's a crime writer named Tess Gerritsen who, uh, who's, who's really good, who, whose work I've enjoyed. And I used to read her blog regularly. And at one point she blogged about, she was really disappointed because her new book came out and it debuted at like number 10 on the bestseller list. And she was really like disappointed and hurt and, you know, you know, didn't know what this meant for her career. And she was worried and everything. And she wrote about that very honestly. And man, the knives came out. People were like, you know, you're so for- you know, fortunate to be on the list at all, and how dare you? And she wrote about being attacked then and yeah. said, you know, so I can't express misgivings and yeah. fears and, and, and talk honestly about what I'm concerned about. And, you know, it, when you get to a certain point, it's really tough to, to be honest, to about, be honest about these yeah. things because the people who are, uh, for lack of a better word, below you mm-hmm. <laughs> will get really angry yeah. <laughs> and, huh. and come after you, um, you know. I'm so going to go, it, I'm going to go read Curtis's yeah, I'm, review I'm curious, and I'm curious what, what that review was like and, and what she said about it. Um, so I have just read and heartily recommend the wild robot by Peter Brown. Oh, I'm excited to read this. This book, this book is amazing. And it so for is, people who don't know, Peter for Brown, people is who don't know, Peter Brown award is a winning, award-winning best-selling picture book, picture, picture book author and artist. Yes. Um, phenomenally talented and a really, really great guy. Uh, we share an editor. Hi, Alvina. <laughs> and uh, and he's a really good guy. And he had mentioned to me years ago, he said, yeah, I think I'm going to write a novel. And I remember thinking, I hope this son of a bitch falls on his face. <laughs> because he's so talented at what he does. I really don't need him being good at what I do, too. <laughs> and he finally wrote it. And it just came out. Middle grade? It is middle grade. I read it on the plane on my way to uh, Texas Library Association uh, a couple weeks ago. And I was nearly in tears on the plane. Wow. And I saw him at a party at TLA and I went up to him and I said, you son of a bitch. You almost made me cry in public. I hate you. (laughs) Um, It's such a good book. It is so good. You're going to read it in no time at all. It's short. It's about 200 pages and there's illustrations. So it's not even 200 full pages. It is so good. He is so good. And it ties into something we talked about on one of the first episodes of this show, which was people who um, have kids and then decide that they are children's book writers oh, because yes. they have kids. Yeah. And we talked about how we don't like that. Yeah. And this book is disproves that idea because it is such a beautiful meditation on the nature of parenthood. And Peter does not have kids. Yeah. Wow. He is not a parent. 
And yet he is able to capture the essence of parenthood in this book so well and so beautifully without having experienced it. So it's not about, do you have kids? Do you work with kids? It's about (laughs) what what, what have you got going for you? Um, And Peter's got it going for him. I encourage everybody to read this book. It is a beautiful, phenomenal, terrific book. And I really hate him. Like (laughs) truly, deeply, madly despise him. Uh, Would not piss on him if he were on fire. So. (laughs) Wow. Hi, Peter. So there you go. Uh, The Wild Robot by Peter Brown. So that is it for us this week. We will see you again next week. Please, please, please visit us at writinginreallife.com. Visit our show notes. uh, Use our feedback form. Tell us what you want us to talk about. Follow us on Twitter at WIRL Podcast. And go subscribe to us on iTunes and rate us on iTunes. Give us ratings. We live off of ratings. Um, Because, like I said before, this is free. So we live (laughs) off of ratings. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. Have a good one.